This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. You know what I loved? The dog, kind of like the shaming post when they would do something and they would like post the photo, you know, like an answer Mm. for your crimes. That's what I need. If you want to have your dog or cat answer for their crimes and you want to send it in our DMs, I can't guarantee it'll make the IG story, but I love National Dog and Cat Day. So if you want to True Crime Creepers your pet up, send it to your girl. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Except for, again, part one of this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a Hocus Pocus watch party in December is just out of the question? Well, I, I don't think it's as relevant. I know, but we'll be together, you know? So I know, but like, I'm sure there's Chris. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we can. I mean, I guess we could watch Fast and the Furious 4. <laughs> Are we going to go live from a Waffle House? Probably. So. <gasps> hmm. Maybe if we find one that, like, I feel like I could get behind the counter and, like, cook up a little something, you know? God, I'm so pissed that they tore that one down. I know. God, me too. I'm so sad about it. I know you're, like, emotionally devastated, but I'm mm-hmm. like, man, content. We have such good content <laughs> at that one. <laughs> I know. Uh, but when I'm famous, adjacent, per se, mm-hmm. I may open my own franchise. I think that's the dream right there, right? We know it's dirty. (laughs) (laughs) We already know it's dirty. You know, the best thing is, too, is that I guess it's like the franchise names that they're named like something kind of cool. So like my paychecks from, well, they were cash, you know, but you got the little thing um, was from Texas Coast Waffles. Which was like real big when like <laughs> West Coast choppers and like all that. I felt like like oh Texas Coast waffles. And the one up here I think is like Derby City waffles. So yours is obviously going to be Mo Gab Mo waffles, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mo waffles, Mo problems. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, obviously. I'm pulling another two parter on you. Yeah, it is making things easy. I was watching The Bachelor. I'm very behind. And they did a, uh, like, to be continued. And I was like, well, I'm used to this shit. 
<laughs> so you're saying that I am, by virtue of doing this to you, I am um, helping you with the instant gratification that mm-hmm. the internet has provided to us. So you're welcome. Yeah, but that's, you know me, I'm pretty old school. So that's like a newer, you know, that wasn't always something that I needed. You are the most old school person I know that's not actually old. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I told you we did that generational training to learn how to like work with different generations and you had to fill out like a survey and you had to stand because we work with, you know, women that are 18 and I work with women that are like 100. And so we had to do like, what is your generation by actual like birth year, which obviously I'm millennial, but then you had to fill out like preferences and like how you identify and you uh-huh. had to stand up when they called oh yours. My God. Did you identify with the greatest generation? Please tell me. It was it was called traditionalist and it was just me and the archivist that stood up and at the time she was like 80 years old and it was just the two of us. Me and Marilyn shouts. You know what? I bet if I looked at like the criteria for each one, I'm sure everybody that knows you would have like pegged you as a traditionalist. Yes. 100%. I would have been the absolute opposite of that. I know. Like and as you're far over here apart. like why don't you want to travel with me? Because I'm trying to read a newspaper <laughs> on the beach. You'll be making TikToks. Well, obviously. Why wouldn't <laughs> we be making TikToks? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. All right. Today, we are finishing up the second part of the mysterious disappearance of Carrie Farver. So obviously, if you have not listened to part one, do that before you listen to this one. Or don't worry about it because I'm still lost as hell and I have no flowchart. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, you're just going to have to deal with no flowchart. Uh, yeah. Yikes. All right. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and pull out a pencil. <laughs> Once again, big thanks to Sabrina Eads for helping with the research on this episode. And by helping, I mean doing it all for me. Thank you. Sabrina Rena. I'm just going to give her a nickname. All right. So we left off with Dave and Liz still getting stalked and harassed by Carrie, even though no one had seen her for over a year. 
Dave's childhood friend Heather is told about this whole situation, and she tells Dave she thinks Liz is behind the whole thing, but Dave dismisses the suggestion, as he should, because that's obviously not true. Yeah, something smells plenty of fishy, okay? A few months after Heather's visit, Dave takes Liz to come with him to Sioux Falls and visit his childhood friend Tay, who was basically like a sister to him, and happily married, by the way, with two children. And they had a nice, casual visit, and as Tay walked them to the door, she told Liz she should come back anytime, which is literally just something everybody says when they're kicking people out of their house. Yeah. A little while later, Tay gets an email from Dave, and she opens it up, and it's a sex tape. Huh? She could see that it was Dave in the video, but she couldn't tell who the woman was, and also she was super grossed out. So she called Dave to ask why he would send her that, and Dave has no idea what she's talking about. So she sends the video back to him, and he immediately knew what it was. It was a clip that Liz had taken on her phone. He figured the stalker had managed to hack into Liz's phone and get access to the video. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) That's obviously what happened. I don't know why or when I quit drinking on these, but... This is not the time. Here's my problem, too. If, regardless of if it was Liz that sent the video or this quote-unquote stalker, if you have this going on in your life, oh, I don't know, maybe don't record your sexual encounters. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> A few weeks after that, Liz takes Tay up on her invitation to come by any time. Liz, ma'am. <laughs> not an invitation. She invites herself up for an entire weekend. Tay agreed because she didn't want to be rude, but she could not believe it. So Liz showed up and she seemed annoyed that Tay's husband was there at their house. He often worked nights and Tay figured Liz had been counting on him working that night, but he wasn't. And her father-in-law had also recently moved in. So it was a full house. And so Liz is like, where are we going to have girls night? And Tay is like, um, right here at the house that you invited yourself to. Yeah, literally right here. So Liz spends most of the evening going into a super long rant about the stalker that she's had to put up with and how stupid the cops are for being unable to catch her. And Tay was sympathetic at first because she's a normal person who, when you hear about somebody getting stalked, you know, uh-huh. you sympathize. But after a while, it was just exhausting to listen to her. And that's when Heather showed up. Oh! <gasps> You know, the Heather who thinks Liz was the stalker all along. Yes, I'm rooting for Heather. Tay introduced them to each other, introduced Liz and Heather, and Liz said, oh, you're the one who came to see Dave. He should have brought you to my place when crazy Carrie threw that brick through the window. And Heather is super cold in her response. And she just said, I don't even know you. Why would I stay at your house? So Liz asked Heather what she was even doing at Dave's. And Heather said, And I quote, because this is just too good not to quote. (gasps) Dave and I have been friends with benefits for decades. (gasps) I will always be here. I was here before you, and I will be here after you. You're just the Wednesday girl. Mm. Oh my God. You're just Just the Wednesday girl. Just body bagged her. And then she left. Then she just left. She just. Heather left. left. Uh huh. Like, drop the mic, I'm out. Drop the mic, I'm out. 
So Heather leaves, and so Liz just starts peppering Tay with questions about Heather and Dave's relationship, and then about Tay and Dave's relationship. Like, why aren't you attracted to him? Why do you text him so often? Have you slept with him? It was like an interrogation. Get out of my house. Get out of my house. And then Liz insisted they go visit Dave's parents, who lived down the street in Sioux Falls. Yeah. So Tay called them, and they went down to their house for a visit. And Liz, again, went on and on about the stalker until Dave's parents were even more concerned than they'd already been. So she also told Dave's mom that she should talk to Dave about how much of his hard-earned cash he was handing over to greedy Amy for child support payments. Remember, Amy is like 12-year relationship, mother of his two children. It was pretty clear that Liz had no boundaries. His parents already knew this, though. They'd met her twice before, and both times it was because she just showed up to different events after being told not to come. Oh, God. Uh. Yeah. Like, they would literally hear Dave on the phone saying, don't come, and then she would show up. I can't imagine having that, like, gumption. Like, I'm just, like, I have secondhand embarrassment. It's like, it's not even secondhand, it's like thirdhand embarrassment. Like, I'm embarrassed for the story you're telling me of these people I don't know. And I feel Mm -hmm. so uncomfortable. I can't imagine being like, yeah, I'm going to show up to this birthday party I was told not to come to. I know. Like, I'm uncomfy right now. Like, I'm, this is like a new scrunch face where it's like all to one side. Like, I'm (laughs) just like, ugh. (laughs) Then that evening, due to being short on beds, Tay invited Liz to share her bed. (gasps) Oh, And it was like, because the father-in-law had moved in and they had two kids, Yeah, her and her husband had kind of moved down into the basement and had kind of taken Mm -hmm. over the basement. So her husband works nights, so he's on an opposite sleep schedule. So he isn't ready for bed. So he's like playing video games, but he's still like in the room. But Mm -hmm. Liz, I guess, didn't realize it. And he saw her staring at Tay around five in the morning. And he spoke up, asking if she was okay. And Liz kind of shook herself out of this stare and said she couldn't sleep. But Tay now thinks that she was expecting her to be alone that night. And she thinks that Liz might have really done her harm if they had been alone. I wonder why. Because she was close friends with Dave. After the visit, Liz started texting Tay often to complain about crazy Carrie. And soon enough, Tay found herself a victim to Carrie's messages. She started receiving 50 to 100 messages a day from Carrie, accusing Tay of being one of Dave's whores. Okay, so like Liz does not have a job, correct? I mean, if she's sending hundreds of texts to at least four different people, I mean, girl's not employed. But Tay didn't see what Heather had seen. She was annoyed with Liz and she thought she was incredibly rude. But at this point in time, she wasn't scared of her. She was actually mad at Heather for being so rude to Liz. Tay just does not like rude people. Yeah, but like, did anyone call Dave and say like, hey, this happened this weekend? I don't know. I'm sure. But Heather is over here wondering if she's been taking crazy pills because it seems so obvious to her what was really going on. She knew that Liz had murdered Carrie and had been pretending to be her for over a year. Girl, same. But who would believe that? I mean, if it's real life and you're not just hearing this as a narrative, yeah. who would believe that? It sounds insane. 
It does. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that if I didn't do this every week. Yeah. And you weren't expecting like a true crime story. Right. Yeah. And yet Dave is still on Plenty of Fish. Oh, no. Okay. You know what? You get what's coming to you, my man. But it seems like for a while, the only kind of fish Dave was catching were catfish. (laughs) Sorry, it's just too easy. (laughs) Great job. You really nailed that one. Hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have to work too hard on it. Just right. The stuff just writes itself. What can I say? You know what? One more fish pun here or reference. I want him to, uh, like, go international so these women aren't in his own backyard. Get him a little Swedish fish, if you will, and do some, like, (laughs) you know, 90-day fiancé, someone far away. So Carrie starts catfishing Dave. And even though he tried to set up precautions against it, especially after the first time it happened, like screening them through multiple online chats before giving out his phone number or having a more extensive online friendship with them before sharing his information, She still managed to get him six times. Six times. What? Yeah. He would, like, meet these women online, think they were great, text them for a while, be friends with them online for a while, set up a date, say, hey, where are you? And then she'd just be like, F you. (laughs) And he'd know that it was her. Oh, my God. I know. I can't believe he, like, kept trying. I know. Many Christmas. She also catfished a woman who had no connection to Dave, and no one knows why. Just because. Because she can. Because she can. In March of 2014, Carrie called in a suicide threat. Police were dispatched to her former home, where a tenant was now living. Carrie's family was notified, and they confirmed that she was still missing. This was 13 months to the day from when she pulled that shelter hoax of saying she was Mm -hmm. at the homeless shelter. In May, we're going on a year and a half that Carrie's been missing now. Nancy got a message that said, happy birthday, mom. Max also got a message and Carrie asked Nancy how Max was doing. Nancy said she'd be happy to tell her if she called. But she didn't call or text again that day. And it's been two years. By February 2015, Dave had been dealing with this stalker for over two years. And it was still going strong. He finally decided that he needed to move, hoping Carrie wouldn't find him. But she did. (gasps) Around this time, two detectives named Avis and Dodie became intrigued. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a comic strip, doesn't it? Avis and Dodie. Yeah. Calvin and Hobbes. Avis and Dodie. Oh. I love Calvin and Hobbes. (laughs) I know. I do too. I love Calvin and Hobbes. So good. They became intrigued by this case when Phillips told them about it and they asked to be assigned to it. And they wanted to avoid tunnel vision in this case. They didn't want to like assume anything. So they came up with a unique strategy of working the case from opposite angles. So Avis worked the case from the point of view as if Carrie was still alive while Dodie worked it as if she were dead. Okay, I'm liking this. I'm liking where this is going. Mm-hmm. Avis quickly saw there was absolutely no evidence to suggest that Carrie was still alive. She'd abandoned her dying father, her teenage son, and every other person in her life that loved her. No one had seen or spoken with her for two and a half years. She'd abandoned her house, her car, all of her possessions, and she hadn't used any of her money. 
The only thing to suggest that she was alive was the fact that someone was running around sending people messages saying that they were Carrie. But who would do that if she were alive? Dodie started with the metadata on Carrie's phone and examined the signature on the check for Carrie's bedroom set, working under the assumption that Carrie was dead when that text was sent. Remember, Nancy had gotten that text from Carrie with the picture of a check for $5,000. The check was signed by Shanna Golier. And it was a name that popped up repeatedly in the investigation. Shanna had also been the person that Carrie had recommended take over for her when she left her job. Yeah, but no one's like found or talked to this person. Right. And again, Dodie's working under the assumption that Carrie is dead. So if that's the case, who would have more motivation to recommend Shanna Golier for a job than Shanna Golier herself? And remember, Shanna Golier had a nickname, Liz, same person. So Dodie compares the signature on the check with Shanna Golier's signature. Because remember, Liz said that the check was stolen, but the signature on the check was a perfect match for Shanna Golier's signature from a traffic citation. So it hadn't been forged, which linked Liz to the messages being sent as Carrie. Okay, but I'm so... Okay. I'm confused on Shanna. It's just her real name. Wait, they're the same person. They're the same person. What? You purposely didn't tell me her last name. So she was never hiding. Like, Dave knows that Liz's last name is Goyer. Yes. (laughs) So the detectives then combed through the data. See, and I think this is the thing. I think the detectives kind of knew, just like Heather did. They knew that Liz was behind it. And that's why they decided to do this whole working it from two different angles. Because they didn't want to get that tunnel vision where they were so focused on Liz if they were wrong. But, you know, once they started looking, everything is coming up, you know, and they're looking at it from all different angles and it just keeps coming up back to Liz slash Shanna Golier. So the detectives then combed through the data from Liz and Dave's phone dumps. And Avis estimated that he spent nearly 500 hours off the clock just due to the volume of messages and data. I mean, oh, Dave well. said he got a thousand messages in one day one time. This has now been going on two and a half years. And I finally found a profession that works as many unpaid hours as teachers do. Woo! <laughs> 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 Avis noticed that Liz had called Carrie Farver's landline repeatedly a week after Carrie's first date with Dave, which was about a week before she disappeared. So there were five calls from Liz on November 6th, 2012, and one call the day after. And she disappeared around like November 12th. Mm-hmm. The examination also led to the discovery of a photo on Liz's phone of Carrie's car with the license plate taken on Christmas Eve 2012, which was like during that time after, period that her yeah. car was missing. Yeah. Yeah. She was missing. Or, yeah. Uh-huh. The evidence seemed to be piling up when they ran Liz's known prints and discovered they were a match to that unidentified print on the mint tin can in Carrie's car. What else do we need? But all of these discoveries were merely circumstantial. As Taylor Swift so eloquently puts it, no body, no crime. This is also why we can't have nice things. Meanwhile, Dave is still oblivious to Liz's red flags. If he is still on plenty of fish, I am. <laughs> you I guarantee you he is definitely still on plenty of fish. 
Meanwhile, Dave is still oblivious to Liz's red flags, and she asked him to spend Thanksgiving with her. Oh my god, no. <laughs> yes. And this is Thanksgiving 2015. This is a full three years since Carrie has gone missing. Three we're years. Get, and we're starting to get to like yesterday time. I know. Dave agreed, but their plans were derailed when Amy called with an emergency. Her infant son, Mason, had a fever of 103, and she had to get him to the hospital, but there was a blizzard, and Amy was worried about driving in the snow when she was that upset. Yeah, same girl. Yeah, Mason wasn't Dave's kid, but he was the brother of his kids, and he still cared about Amy and Mason. And also, he's not a total asshole, so of course he said he would help. But Liz threw a fit that Dave was rushing to her rescue. Dave could not believe how selfish Liz was being, and he was over it. So he broke up with her again. Four years too late, my friend. No kidding. Soon after that, Dave woke up one morning to tons of angry texts. He'd gone to bed the night before alone with his phone plugged into the charger, and somehow his phone had managed to send out rude and vulgar texts to every single woman in his phone. (laughs) (laughs) This does not feel real. I know. Some were just trying to pick fights, and others were just straight calling them whores. (laughs) Even Amy was pissed at him. The only explanation Dave could come up with was that the stalker had snuck into his bedroom while he was asleep. It was common for him to just sleep practically comatose. Dave also discovered that the pistol he'd bought for protection from the stalker had also been stolen. Oh, no. Yes. So he reported that right away. In early December of 2015, Liz went to the police station to file a police report against Amy Flora. Detective Avis took her report. He was playing dumb the whole time because he knew exactly who she was. And Liz told Avis all about the stalking. And how she realized it couldn't be Carrie. Remember, she kept calling her crazy Carrie. It's crazy (laughs) Carrie's talking to me. She realized it couldn't be Carrie because Carrie and Dave had only dated for two weeks. So that didn't make any sense. So she told Avis it had to have been Amy that was stalking her and Dave. She claimed that Amy had sent her threatening messages and that she had them on her phone, that Liz had them on her phone. So on December 5th, 2015, Liz told her roommate slash ex-boyfriend Garrett that she was going to Walmart. And this was super strange because she usually avoided telling Garrett where she was going and she'd get really angry if he asked her. (laughs) I thought you were going to say she typically avoided Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. They're not together, but they're living together. Yeah. Garrett felt bad for her after Liz's house burned down. Garrett felt bad for her and her kids. He was worried about the kids not having anywhere to go. So he told them they could stay with him while she got back on her feet. But see what happens when people restock their empathy. She's not. Yeah, she's not trying to get back on her feet too quickly. Yeah. See what happens. Mm -hmm. Stay vigilant, my friends. Yeah. And then that night, December 5th, 2015, a call came into 911 from Liz saying she'd been shot in the leg. She said she was in a park. She'd gone there to think after some fight with Dave, and someone came up and shot her in the leg. Police rushed to the park, and by the time they found Liz, she was unconscious. They quickly blocked off the park and searched for the shooter. They even had helicopters searching overhead, but they didn't find anyone. The bullet somehow missed all the major arteries and bones, so that's either super lucky 
or possibly planned. Yeah, either well-researched or (laughs) bad aim. At first, Liz couldn't say who had shot her, but then she suddenly remembered who it was. Amy! Amy! So the police go to Amy, and they tell her that Liz had been shot, and Amy asks, like a normal person, is she okay? And the police say, maybe, but she says, you shot her. And poor Amy is just standing there in her pajamas, and she just bursts into tears. And the cop says, you don't look like you just shot someone. (laughs) Yeah. And Amy says, of course she didn't shoot anyone. She takes a polygraph, which she fails. But in the end, they rule her out. Because she's hysterical, probably. probably. And they they do end up ruling her out as a suspect because they know polygraphs are stupid. Maybe. I don't know. They didn't say that, but... (laughs) You know how I feel. I like to apply those like, like, right. she failed it. Of course she did. Or like, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> but <sure>. not Amy. <laughs> yeah, not Amy, though. Of course she did. She's hysterical. Yeah. I mean, I can't, you know. Poor thing. I'm willy nilly over here. It's situational. You know, nothing's black and white. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, an IT specialist with the police completed a physical download of Liz's phone. He was able to see things that weren't currently on the phone but were at one time, including proof that it had been Liz sending all those abusive messages. Yes. Also, doesn't it freak you out how, like, stuff is never really gone? Yes, but it's also confusing because... Sometimes it's gone. (laughs) This IT specialist saw that Liz had used an app called Texty to send the messages from various phone numbers and emails As soon as he realized that there were incriminating items on the phone, he got a search warrant for the phone, as well as for websites like Facebook and Yahoo. They were able to get the warrant sealed from public record so that Liz wasn't tipped off. Detectives brought Liz back to the scene of the shooting to try and find physical evidence and to go over the events of the night. But Liz's story kept changing, and they didn't find anything in the park. The detectives were pretty sure that Liz had shot herself, and they worried that Amy could be in danger. I can't believe the uh, the uh, women that are out here just shooting themselves in the arm and the leg. I just can't. I like, would not. I get a paper cut and I'm brought to my knees. And what was your plan with that? I mean, what were you trying to, to prove? What were you trying to do yeah. there? Like, did you really shoot yourself in the leg just so you could say Amy shot you? Like, was that really what you were trying to do? Yeah, I think so. I think they think. That then they'll immediately go and arrest Amy. Yeah. Yeah. They put a tracker on Liz's car and a geofence on Amy's complex to make sure that they'd have an alert if she ever got close. So I looked this up because I wasn't totally sure, but it is what it sounds like. So the geofence, if Liz crosses it, they'll know and they'll know that she's right by Amy's apartment. And they saw that she did do frequent drive-bys of Amy's apartment. She'd drive around the complex in a loop and then leave. So officers were frequently alerted that she was nearby. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The plan was that if Liz's pauses went too long, the Council Bluffs PD would rush over there. But otherwise, they wouldn't alert Amy to the situation. Ugh. You know, they're putting a lot of faith in, like... Their technology? How much time you're... Well, and how much time you're assuming it would take, like, oh, we'll only do something if it's four minutes. Right. But three minutes, I mean, you're how just long guessing, three like, minutes? how yeah. long is too long? Yeah. I don't like that at all. Like, you can't use someone as bait and not even tell them. 
Yeah. But the police thought it was vital to prevent Liz from knowing how close they were to catching her. Detective Doty had a plan to try and draw Liz out. He invited her to his office as a witness and a victim, and he lied to her. He told her that Carrie's remains had been found. He asked her what she knew about Carrie, and Liz said she'd only met the one time and that Carrie had called her a bitch, but she wasn't too upset about it. Liz said it was Amy who had the reason to be upset and possessive of Dave. I mean, they'd been together for 12 years, and she was always coming in and out of his life. Dodie told her he agreed, but he needed evidence against Amy. And this is where this story just gets amazing. <laughs> Liz took the bait and created an email from Amy admitting that she'd been the one to shoot Liz. The subject line was, I shot you. That's the subject line. And the body said, I shot you, Liz. No, you know what? I'm going to do. I'm going to do uh, Billy McFarland's mother. OK, uh-huh. I shot you, Liz, to make sure Dave stayed away from you. I got rid of the gun. Looks like the police haven't arrested me. No one has proof it was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best she had. That's yeah. the best she had. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that sounds like? What? It sounds like a fill in Mad Lib. Where you, <laughs> you know, where there's like a blank and then it's like. Girl, <laughs> just wait. Just wait for the next one. Okay. Because oh. she forwarded the email to Dodie. Whose eyes, I just have to imagine, just rolled straight into the back of his head. Oh, there's no way he's keeping a straight face for that. No. No And then he let her know that she'd sent him a confession to the wrong crime. He wasn't investigating her shooting. He was investigating Carrie's murder. And wouldn't you know it, just a few days later, Liz got another email from Amy. This time Mm. completely confessing to Carrie's murder. And generously providing all of the details necessary to prove that it came from the murderer. I mean, things only the murderer could have known. So it had to have been Amy. Mm, Or Liz. No, no, no. (laughs) It was Amy that emailed Liz. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. How'd she do it? What are the deets? This email is probably what actually happened to Carrie. And... It's not good. I mean, it's just not good. So this is what Amy uh, said. (laughs) What Liz said, Amy said. When I met Crazy Carrie, she would not stop talking about Dave and him being her husband. She tried to attack me, but I attacked her with a knife. I stabbed her three to four times in the stomach area. I then took her out and burned her. (gasps) I stuffed her body in a garbage can with crap. She was carried out to the dumpster, probably when Dave took my garbage out for me. (gasps) So be glad I did not do you that way, Liz. I will never admit to Dave or police. No one. Maybe I'm drunk now and just telling lies to you. Dave will always take care of me and protect me, so I will never go to jail. When I followed you that night, I shot you. I left Mason home because he was sleeping. Made sure I called Dave and texted him for my alibi so you can never prove it was me. Except that there is a button in email called forward. Right. Which is key here. Well, and I don't know how good Amy was at like, because she was sending emails to people from all different addresses. I don't think she like hacked Amy's address. I think she just made up like Amy dot last name at Yahoo dot com, you know, whatever. 
But wouldn't you know it, half an hour later, Liz got another email from Amy. Another? Amy's just sitting with her laptop in bed like just- She is feeling the need to confess. Mm-hmm. This time confessing to the arson. What? <laughs> yes. So it was Amy that burned down her house too. My God, this whole time it was Amy. Listen, Amy's not doing all that. She's got like three kids. She's busy. This time the subject line was fucking crazy bitch. And the Ooh. email said, yeah, uh-huh. And the email said, now that I got your attention, don't ever come back around my kids, Dave or me. Just like your house getting burned was me. That's another thing that Dave won't believe ever, except I'm putting it in writing here in this email. She didn't say that last part. That was just right, me pointing like, out the obvious. Mm-hmm. It was really helpful of Amy to finally confess after three years, just days after a detective asked Liz to help him find evidence. I mean... God, it seems very convenient. Yeah. Even more helpful that she decided to confess it all to Liz, who she didn't even really know. And confess everything, not even just the one thing they were looking for. Right. But also just tell them over and over again how nobody will ever know it was me. Right. Because I'm just telling you in an email. And I just have to wonder if Liz really thought anyone was going to buy this. I mean, I would think so. But she could not wait to tell Dave that the police suspected Amy had murdered Carrie. Because, you know, the detectives are like, oh, thanks, Liz. This is great. We can finally get that Amy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she's running to Dave to tell him that the police suspect Amy had murdered Carrie and was behind all the harassment. Like, hey, Dave, your ex-wife killed your ex-girlfriend. That's like how she's telling that. Yeah. And I'm just I just happen to know about that. Yeah, and, like, Dave is over here still not suspecting Liz. No, Dave is over here still on Plenty of Fish, which is (laughs) killing me, truly. He's, like, updating his profile, you know? Dave was in the middle of updating his profile. (laughs) Yeah. And he was going to ask Liz's opinion, but then he remembered that she's super jealous, but obviously not so jealous that she's stalking him. Right, obviously. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com 
slash creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Dave was super confused when Liz tries to tell him it's Amy, because who knows Amy better than he does? They were together 12 years. They have two kids. And they had a pretty, like, amicable split. They just kind of decided they weren't romantically right for each other, but they were still close enough that she called him to take her baby that's not his to the the emergency room. You know, I mean, they're still close. So Dave's super confused, and he called the detectives to ask them about it. And so now the detectives are really worried about what Liz is going to do. You know, she's really pushing the limits here. They don't know if she's going to hurt somebody. So Avis and Dodie came to Dave's work and they finally told him that Liz was the one that had been making the threats. Like they know that for sure. And they told him that they didn't tell him anything else, but they advised him to avoid her at all costs. Uh, I feel like if we know she's murdered someone, the warning should be a little bit more than like, well, you should probably keep your distance. <laughs> Well, it wasn't keep your distance. It was avoid at all costs. Because I guess, like, what else? I mean, what else are you going to advise him to do? Like, uh, like she stabs people and puts them in a trash can. So you should, you know, like, break up with her and move across the country. <laughs> and take all of your loved ones. And throw away your cell phone. <laughs> and sign up for witness protection. Yeah. So I want to push pause on the investigation here and tell you a little bit about Liz's background. Oh, mm -mm. you know, (laughs) no, no, no. You know, you know where I stand on this. You're going to want to hear this. Okay. It is not. Look, we are not serving up empathy on this blame buffet today. Okay. That is not what this is about. So she was actually born Shanna Kay. And from early on, her life was filled with violence and trauma. She'd been taken from her mother, Dee, as a toddler because of Dee's abusive boyfriend, Al, who was also Shanna's dad. And soon before Dee was set to get Shanna back from the state, she was killed when an 18-year-old kid who knew he wasn't supposed to be driving because he was epileptic had a seizure and killed her as she left a laundromat. After Dee's death, Shanna was placed in a foster home, and when she was five, her foster grandmother was murdered by an ex-boyfriend that stalked her and then shot her. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is sad. Okay, now I'm 
to hear, you know, with all my feelings mixed up. You won't be there long. Okay. Because <laughs> Shanna, Shanna didn't like her foster mother's strict religious views, but she still continued to live with them even into adulthood. But she got married when she was 20. She was divorced by 22. Immediately after her divorce, she became pregnant with another man named Raymond. This is when I told you I probably should have made you a flowchart, but I didn't. So great. I'm going to have you just follow me. She became pregnant with a man named Raymond, but then she moved in with another man named Neil Munson. And she told Raymond they're just roommates. Okay. She had a baby boy that she named Cody, who was the spitting image of Raymond. But by that time, Raymond knew that Neil was not just Shanna's roommate. They were in a relationship. What was your first clue? And (laughs) (laughs) Neil had his own baby, Gavin, who was just a little older than Cody. And he shared custody of Gavin with the baby's mother, Rachel. This is offensive that you're like, follow me through this. Like, I'm supposed to keep (laughs) up. I know. Okay, so to recap, we've got baby daddy Raymond. Boyfriend, Neil. Baby, Cody. Yeah. All right. Neil, boyfriend, Neil, also has a baby named Gavin with his ex-girlfriend, Rachel. Yeah. And he wants to get full custody of Gavin. And Rachel almost agreed until she came over and saw that Shanna was swaddling Gavin at seven months old, which apparently is a big no-no. Like, hashtag not a mother. They all made a big deal about it in this book. And I was like, oh, is that wrong? Do not <laughs> I don't even know. Seven like, months old. Swaddle. I thought I, I just meant they were like wrapped up in a blanket. Like wrapped like a burrito, but apparently it's not. I okay swaddle to do myself. That seven old. <laughs> right? Like I'm always trying to stay swaddled. Like I want to yeah. be in a snuggy burrito all Maybe the time. you should have been swaddled until you were seven months old. I'm sure there's gonna be tons of people in our oh, comments the moms are gonna telling me exactly why. <laughs> Rachel yeah. <laughs> yeah, not me. Rachel called Neil's mother, Gloria, to tell her, and Gloria decided that because Neil was so influenced by Shanna, that as long as Shanna was around, Gavin was going to live with Rachel. So now it's just Neil living with Shanna, who is Liz, and and her baby, Cody. And then tragedy struck. (gasps) On January 29th, 1999, Gloria was watching Cody, Shanna's baby. And he'd been quiet all day. And she dozed off for a bit. And when she woke up, Cody wasn't breathing. So Gloria called 911. She tried CPR. But the baby died. And it was discovered that he had shaken baby syndrome. Oh, no. I have a dumb question. Is that really only caused by someone shaking a baby? Like, there's nothing else that can cause that. Again, hashtag not a mom. Not a mother. Not a doctor. But it did say in this book that to get shaken baby syndrome, you can't just like jostle a baby. That's not going to give it to them. It said that you had to like violently shake a baby for 20 seconds or longer for it to get shaken baby syndrome. So it, it cannot be caused by like an accident. You can't like accidentally give your baby shaken baby syndrome. Yeah, the little like bounce and like coddle thing. I think that there are other things that can happen to a baby that appear as uh, shaken baby syndrome. So Neil told his mother that Shanna had called him the day before saying, come home, I dropped the baby. Hmm. But 
he seemed fine, so they hadn't taken him to the ER. And unfortunately, the police zeroed in on Neil as having been responsible for shaking Cody to death. He admitted that he would, like, toss the baby in the air, but apparently the police did not understand the diagnosis because, again, shaken baby syndrome means that someone shook the baby violently for 20 or more seconds. So Neil was arrested, and even though his parents hired him an attorney, he kept taking Shanna's advice, and he wasn't upfront with his lawyer. She kept telling him, like, don't say this and don't say that, and so he would keep things from him because she's trying to protect herself. Yeah. At Neil's trial, Shanna took the stand and accused Gloria of shaking the baby, Neil's mother. And then she read letters Neil had allegedly written from prison claiming that he had done it and asking her to lie for him. She is quite the wordsmith with these letters. No kidding. She's just out here like drafting all kinds of correspondence. Like, what's the deal? Yeah, exactly. And Neil had a learning disability, and he probably didn't write any letters from prison. Neil ended up serving eight and a half years in jail <gasps> for Cody's for Cody? death. Oh, my uh-huh. God. But Shanna moved on easily enough. Don't you worry about her for one second. I was not. <laughs> she had a second child, a girl named Trina. Couldn't find any information on Trina's dad or where Trina came from, just said <laughs> she had Trina. Then she had a son named Peter with a man named Dirk Rhodes. And her and Dirk split up. He said because of her over-the-top jealousy. I can't imagine that. It seems so out of character. But they... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they co-parented Peter. And at one point, Dirk started dating a woman named Melissa. And Shanna didn't like that. Oh, did she get letters? <laughs> no, but at one point... She basically barricaded her inside Dirk's apartment. Like, (gasps) Melissa was inside the apartment. And Shanna is, like, so upset that they're together that she comes to dump off Dirk's stuff. But we're talking also, like, furniture, like, bookshelves. Yeah, it's not like a Letterman jacket. Right. And she just piles it all seven feet high in front of the front door. So she can't leave. Oh, my God. Listen, I'm never moving stuff voluntarily if I've broken up with someone. Like, I'm not moving your furniture, bro. You know? Yeah. We are in our 30s. We are past the point of helping anybody move. Sorry. Well, you tell that to everyone that's like, oh, you drive a truck? No. Yeah, you heard it here first. No. (laughs) You say, you're 35. Here's a phone number to a moving company I recommend. Oh. She had to call a friend and ask her friend to come over and help her get out of the apartment. Shanna keyed Melissa's car, doing nearly $4,000 worth of damage. And then she started single white femaling Melissa hard. Do you know what that means? No. Jeez, Mogab. Single white female was a movie about a woman who becomes obsessed with this other woman. And she basically like changes herself to look like her, be her. Okay. She signed up for a pharmacy tech program at the local college, which is what Melissa did. Uh, They had completely opposite hair until Shanna dyed hers blonde uh, and got extensions to match Melissa's haircut. She even got the same car as Melissa. This happened in One Tree Hill, too. Single white female. I get very upset (laughs) at the patterns. Of behavior that seemed to always get dismissed. I mean, this has happened in like so many cases where it's like, 
they did this crazy thing and this crazy thing and then this and this and this. And then all of that gets dismissed or written off until, oh, and then they murdered someone, you know? Like. Yes. Melissa and Dirk ended up getting married and having a child together. And Shanna continued to harass them. She sent Melissa a letter at her work Mm. trying to convince her that Dirk had cheated on her with Shanna. Eventually, Dirk and Melissa divorced, and Melissa figured, at least now Shanna will leave me alone. Mm -mm. But it took a while. Shanna continued to harass her for a while after the divorce, but eventually she lost interest. Then Shanna met Garrett Sloan. Garrett was a man who Shanna likely targeted, knowing that she could take advantage of him. He was very kind, but also somewhat insecure about his appearance. Shanna cheated on him repeatedly while they were together. She didn't like being physically affectionate with him, especially in public. And she would gaslight him all the time, making him feel like he was the problem, not her. And then she, like, moves in with him, of course, because he's probably so nice. Ugh. Right. He starts giving her money from time to time to help her make ends meet. Shanna had told him that she was working as a nurse, running her own cleaning business, training to be a dental hygienist. Garrett wanted to help, so he pitched in by offering to watch her kids overnight quite often. And I don't think she was working nights. Yeah. He often loaned her money for other things, too, including the pet adoption fees, (gasps) even though he noticed that Shanna didn't seem to care much about her pets once she had them. He loaned her the adoption fees for the two dogs that had died in the fire, and he was completely devastated by it. How is she getting pets also? Like, she got enough going on. Like, she just has time to, like, leisurely walk dogs? Like, no. No, I guarantee you those dogs were not getting walked. Oh, it's really sad. And Garrett is the man that Shanna moved in with after the fire. Yeah, too nice for his own good. Yeah, yeah. Garrett may have been at Shanna's house immediately after she had tried burning up Carrie's body because he noted that it was in the winter of 2012 that he came over and he noticed something strange smelling. Oh. Yeah. When he asked Shanna, she said she'd had some people over who'd lit up to smoke a cigarette. She'd asked them to put it out, but the smell was still lingering. Those smells are different, I'm sure. Yeah. Garrett let it go, but he was certain that it wasn't tobacco. And yeah, those smells are very different. Shanna mentioned to Garrett that someone was harassing her and she told him that detectives had downloaded her phone. And so she asked what kinds of information the police could get from that. Because wouldn't you know it, Garrett just so happened to work in IT for Pottawatomie County, the county investigating Carrie's murder. But Garrett didn't know what information the police could get. Soon after, the sheriff's department came to question Garrett. They told him what had been going on with Shanna getting harassed by Carrie and all that. And they asked if he and Shanna were exclusive. And when he said they were, police said, that's interesting because she's been dating Dave Krupa. And they were pretty sure she and Dave had cooked up a scheme to sit Carrie on Garrett to divert her attention from them onto Garrett. This is like... We're in the past now, like when they think that it's Carrie. Wait, what? But obviously, in actuality, Dave never sicked Carrie on anyone. And of course, Shanna was Carrie. Mm -hmm. Garrett allowed the police to download everything on his phone. And then he went home to confront Shanna, who, of course, denied everything and just (laughs) became indignant that he didn't trust her. 
She was such a master gaslighter that by the end of it, Garrett was wondering if the police had been intentionally misleading him. Sometimes they do that, though. You know, we've learned. Yes. Yes, they do. Just before the fire, Shanna had actually been about to get evicted from her house. She lived in Section 8 housing, which is low-income housing, and part of her lease required her to keep up with the utility payments. She hadn't, and as soon as the landlord caught on, she was going to get kicked out. But before she could get kicked out, the house went up in flames. Garrett was worried about what would happen to Shanna and the kids, and his roommate had just moved out, so he invited Shanna to move in with him. I want Shanna, okay, I'm not going to say the death penalty. I want her in prison for a very long time because she could have gotten those animals out of the house before she lit it on fire. One million percent. Yeah. She's someone I might look the other way. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? Like, (laughs) weird. Like, why did you have to leave the dogs? And I bet, I think she did it on purpose. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I'm sure it was like, I don't want to take care of them anymore. I'm over them. Yeah. Like, Mm mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Shanna viewed this invitation from Garrett as a new roommate situation, but one where she didn't have to pay rent. Oh, those are the best. And instead of rooming with Garrett, she took the basement and she was a mess. The kids lived in rooms on the main floor and Garrett immediately regretted the invitation, but she had no money to move out. Garrett thought... If he didn't ask her to help pay utilities, she could save up faster and get her own place. But Shanna had a great situation. Yeah, she's not trying to mess that up. No, she burned up her house that likely contained all her secrets. Also, she got revenge on the housing authority for almost evicting her. She had a free babysitter, a free place to live, someone who'd buy her food, and someone who'd pay all her bills. Why would she ever leave? Also, her business of cleaning houses was also destroyed in the fire, so now she could claim unemployment. You know what other place is rent-free and you get all your meals provided for? Prison. (laughs) It didn't really matter if she wasn't actually cleaning houses to begin with, right? Garrett had been helping Shanna out with transportation, too. She'd wrecked two cars right in a row, both of which Garrett had co-signed and kept insurance on for her. She ran a red light with one of the cars, and even though the image was clearly of her, she kept denying that she'd (laughs) done it. Eventually, Garrett had to pay the ticket. I don't understand how someone can be that messy. Like, how is your life that messy? You know? Because you just don't care. Because you just don't care. You've (sighs) gotten away with everything. Your whole life, you've been able to do whatever you want. I don't know how to not care about small things, much less... (laughs) I just don't, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. No, I know. No, me either. After the two wrecks, Garrett's insurance wouldn't even cover her anymore. So the second insurance settlement was used to fix the second wrecked car. And then Garrett just paid off that loan and gifted it to Shanna, got his name off the title, and never helped her get another car ever again. Great job. Thank God. In the spring of 2014, Garrett was hospitalized for heart trouble. Shanna did not visit. He wasn't surprised, but his family was pretty outraged on his behalf. But he used this health scare to get back in shape. He started taking better care of himself, even though it wasn't a heart attack. So he's doing better. He's doing good. Good, good. I hope she's, yeah, leave him alone. Exactly. 
In the autumn of 2015, so this is around the time the police are starting to suspect that Shanna is Carrie, but it's just before she shoots herself in the leg. Garrett and Shanna's relationship ended. Shanna still Liz. I keep getting confused between the Shanna yes, and Liz. Yes, Shanna is Liz. Garrett wanted her out of the house, but she refused to go. He could have kicked her out physically, but he was more concerned about what she'd do to the house once she was out. Yeah, set it on fire, bro. Right. So in January of 2016, Garrett paid for a U-Haul and the deposit and rent for Shanna's apartment so he could get her out of his house. He told her never to darken his doorstep again. She was still recovering from that gunshot wound, though, so he did help her move because Garrett is such a nice guy. And that basically catches us up to present day. It's just honestly amazing what Shanna was able to pull off. I mean, she was literally living like four separate lives all at the same time. All the time. That's a mess. That's a fruit salad. Just, I mean, you talk about (laughs) all the stuff and like one. I I just can't. I know. I don't even remember half of what I just said. Yeah, I know. you. <laughs> these two parters like. So much. <laughs> it's like a blacked out. <laughs> I know. This is also about the same time that Dave is learning that Liz was the one behind the threats. And he was stunned. And he was really confused because remember there were those times where. Both their phones. They yeah. both get a message around the same time and their phones would be across the room. I bet you could schedule it through that. Uh Uh-huh. He learned that she was using an app called Letter Me Later to send messages at specific times to make it look like she wasn't the one sending them. Yeah, I I honestly don't want to put those names of these things out here because I know people are going to be... If they're stalkers, they already know. (laughs) That's right. When he looked at things with that information, things became clearer. Detectives thought about how they could use Dave to finally catch Liz, and they thought that if they got him to move in with Amy, that that would just really stir Liz up into a frenzy. That is not okay. Like, I'm really worried about Amy here. She's getting the short end of the stick. They suggested to Dave that he move in with Amy to protect her and the kids, but they were already watching the house and protecting Amy, but I still feel like they should have What's he going to do? Like, it's his responsibility. Yeah. I think that's just that's that was their ploy to right. get him to go like, you're going to be the man and protect her, you know, and he's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> In February 2016, despite having moved Shanna out and paid for the U-Haul, she kept wreaking havoc in Garrett's life. Ugh. So he worked for the IT department for Pottawatomie County. And he had to be put on leave during the investigation while his house was searched for evidence of her crimes. And luckily, his bosses didn't actually think he'd been involved, but they needed to avoid even the appearance of anything being sketchy, and they weren't entirely sure that he wouldn't share any information that he learned Mm -hmm. with Liz. Here's the thing. Like, even though they don't think you're involved, like, that's still embarrassing at your job. Like, oh, you were housing the crazy girl? Like, no one wants that. And that's honestly, that's why I don't understand Dave, because he kept dating all these women. And I'm like, weren't you embarrassed the last seven times that they ended up getting these horrifically abusive, horrible, threatening messages? Like, yeah, didn't that embarrass you? <laughs> if I had to like divvy up responsibility here, I do feel like a lot of it's on him because he kept bringing women into this situation against their yeah. knowledge, you know? 
You know, Liz was also just digging her way into a hole that she would never get out of. She went by Detective Doty's office to let him discover more emails from Amy that included more incriminating evidence, including information about Carrie's tattoo that most people weren't aware of, and a description of Carrie's home. So they realized, based on the emails, that the murder most likely occurred in Omaha. So they had to work with the police force there to proceed with the case. And in the emails, there was also a claim that the murderer had killed Carrie in her own car. So they wanted to get another look at that car, but it had long been sold. They were able to get in touch with the new owner of the car, and he allowed them access. And this time, when they peeled back the cloth covering on the seats, they found blood that matched Carrie's. Ew. In late February of 2016, a brick broke a window in Amy's apartment. And we know Dave sleeps like he's in a coma, so he didn't even wake up. But police were alerted immediately that Liz was near Amy's apartment, and they arrested her. But she pled guilty, paid a fine, and she was released. I mean, that's all they had on her was her throwing the brick. That's it. But a few days after her arrest, search warrants were executed at Garrett's house, as well as the apartment that she had moved into. They found a camera and a camcorder that had both belonged to Carrie Farver. But the real nail in the coffin for Liz came from what they found on Garrett's computer. Y'all know I'm no expert in computers, so I definitely fully understand everything I'm about to say. Yes. Basically, because Garrett often used a VPN because he worked for Pottawatomie County, <clears throat> Pottawatomie County, and because Liz had leached off his internet, Police realized that they could track and trace her IP addresses, even if she used proxies or other ways to disguise herself. I actually understood all of that. Excellent. So on December 22nd, 2016, over four years after Carrie Farver had been missing, Liz was arrested for her murder. She used forged tax returns to get Omaha's best lawyer and then never paid him. <gasps> <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, man. That's great. The evidence against Liz was pretty damning. There was the proof that it had been her pretending to be Carrie and sending all those abusive messages for years. I mean, they knew that for a fact. They could prove that. That, to me, is what makes me mad that it took so long. Like, if you know that she's pretending to be this woman, how can you mm -hmm. not question what happened to the woman she's pretending to be? I think the problem was that there was no body, no evidence that Carrie was actually dead until maybe they got that blood off the car. Nobody, no crime. But they still don't have, yeah, a body. It is hard to try. And I, obviously, I'm an expert. I'm a lawyer mm -hmm. and I've been to law school. Just kidding. Also a doctor and a mother. Doctor, mother, hashtag no. But... I have read a lot about this, and from what I understand, it is harder to try a case that doesn't have a body, but it is, like, nowhere near impossible. Like, right. you can try cases without a body if you can prove murder in other ways. You know, probably okay. best practice to find that body. You know, yeah. you want to find the body, but when you can't and you know the person's dead, it's good to have options. They also had the photo of Carrie's car that was taken in December long mm -hmm. after her murder. And in February of 2017, dear old Dave found a tablet that had been in storage and he turned it over to the police. 
And there were several images on it that had been erased, including one of Carrie's foot (gasps) after she had been dead for several hours. Oh, my God. Who's out there taking photos of a dead body with an iPad? Well, and it seems like it was just a photo of her foot. So I don't know if she's like accidentally taking all these photos of like the car and this foot. I don't know. But she had a tattoo on her foot. So they knew that it was Carrie's foot. And a forensic pathologist determined that it was a foot that was in decay. And this photo was incredibly important because Carrie's body would never be found. (gasps) They still have not found her body. Probably because she burned it and then put it in a trash can. Yeah, she told us what she did with it. Yeah, sent it to the dumpster. So they wouldn't find her body. And so it was important, this photo, that proved that she was dead. But that's a little weak, you know? So Liz opted for a bench trial instead of a jury trial, which means that the trial would take place only in front of a judge, not a jury. There would be you, no jury. When can you decide that? You can waive your rights. It's a right to a – you have a right to a jury trial. Right. You can always waive your right. Her trial was set to start on May 10th, 2017, where she would be prosecuted for first-degree murder and second-degree arson of a rental home. The death penalty was not on the table because there needed to be at least one aggravating factor, like a murder for hire or previous murder convictions. I'm sorry. I'm aggravated. (laughs) And the dogs, the dogs for me are what did it. So let's just go ahead. Look the other way here. (laughs) It's the dogs. It's the dogs for me. Well, and if she'd been held accountable for her child's death, she might have been eligible for the death penalty. But, okay, look. The prosecution didn't have the murder weapon, the body, or really even a strong motive. But what they did have was 32 witnesses. 32? That's a lot. The defense had zero witnesses. (laughs) Deputy Kava had a PowerPoint that showed how Liz used proxy servers and VPNs to lure Carrie into a trap, which could definitely prove premeditation, which they would need for a first degree murder. They also had cell phone pings, the use of Carrie's debit card to buy items at Walmart and Family Dollar. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. She was buying cleaning supplies, by the way. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. As well as the Facebook activity after the murder. So it might all be circumstantial, but circumstantial evidence is still evidence. And I'm not sure I've ever seen circumstantial evidence this compelling. That, like, to me, just leaves no shadow of a doubt about who did this. Yeah. Like, even to me. No doubt. Who wasn't 100% (laughs) sure uh, that it was Diane Downs. Well, you, you're like, nope, they did it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. The defense had zero witnesses. The only person who was on Liz's side was her new, very young boyfriend. But he had been a teenager at the time of the murder, and he hadn't known Liz then, so. Oh, my gosh. Who's who's dating Liz? (laughs) I'm sorry. And so on May 24th, 2017, the judge found Liz guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of the murder of Carrie Farver and the arson charge. Yeah, girl, bye. Turns out it wasn't Amy. (laughs) Shanna told her attorney that she wanted the plea deal after the verdict. (laughs) I'm new here, but isn't that not how that works? The lawyer told her that there hadn't been any formal plea deal because (laughs) the prosecution. (laughs) Wait, she tried to take something that wasn't even offered. (laughs) Yes. 
But because oh, the prosecution would have wanted the location of Carrie's remains yeah. in exchange. And Liz had insisted she was innocent. So it was a moot point. And it was doubly moot once the verdict had been read. <laughs> yeah. Liz was sentenced to life in prison for first degree murder and to 18 to 20 years for arson to be served consecutively. Mm. She's currently serving her sentence at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women in York, Nebraska. Oh, that sounds like a happening place. Mm, yeah, she's partying it up. She filed an appeal in November 2018, which was denied, and she still insists that she's innocent. Well, Liz, that's all the free meals and free rent you can need, girl. You just sit your ass right there. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, I want to look this woman up. In spite of her, her kids, Trina and Peter, are seem like they're doing really well. Trina's living with a supportive foster aunt, and Peter lives with his father. So they're doing good, Aww. luckily. It's shout-out time. Kick it's shout-out time. Shout. How does that go? Shout. It's famous adjacent time. Hit it. These following people, you're now famous adjacent. They started calling it the famous adjacent adjacent. <laughs> I know. That's my favorite part because I guess that is true because we're famous adjacent. But once we're just actually famous, then they get promoted to Then famous. they'll be famous adjacent. I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So make us famous and then you'll be famous adjacent instead of famous adjacent adjacent, adjacent which is, which what, is you are. what you are right now. <laughs> we are so sorry. We're so sorry. We wish we were famous too. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, girl can't even girl doesn't even have a coupon code yet. What do you want? You know? All right. Shout out to Mary Pulos. <laughs> uh did somebody do this? Did somebody really yes. do this? Yeah, they did. I I'm just gonna go for it. Shout out Seymour Butts. Is that really the name they signed up under? No, you. I know you probably know who this is. It's not Russell. It's not? He already got a shout out. Babe, did you sign up for the Patreon under Seymour Butts? Silence. <laughs> Absolute silence. You know what? You are now famous unadjacent. <laughs> and you're in the doghouse. Major shouts to Amber Lindauer. And Rachel Frankel. Shouts to Shelly. I'm going to do this one phonetically because I really appreciate it. Ma-K-La. Major shouts to Chris Garcia. And Kelly Campbell. Julie Siegel. And last but not least, Justin Ware. Thanks, everybody. Whoop, whoop. We love you guys. Thank you. Seriously, thank you so much yeah. for subscribing to our Patreon. We appreciate it more than we can even tell you. Thank you so much. If you would like your own Famous Adjacent shout out, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You're going to get a bonus episode coming in September. We've got our mini creeps up there. Mogab is wax sealing these envelopes <laughs> to send out these thank you cards and stickers. So get ready. It's adorable. And you're going to you know, be missing out if you don't yeah. get it. Plus, you get a shout out on the podcast. So Sign up. Get us closer. Get us two weeks closer to a two weeks notice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You'll find that link in our show notes. It's patreon.com slash true crime creepers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
We appreciate you. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. You're the best. Major love. Follow us on social media at Creepers Pod on all the things, on the Twitter, on the Facebook, on the Instagram. Also, we haven't really been saying this, but join our Facebook discussion group. Like, we're having a really good time in there. True Crime Creepers discussion group. And uh, join us in there. That's been a lot of fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And good night. Send us pictures of your dog. Go eat at the Waffle House. Bye, peeps and creeps.